It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. John McDonnell once said, Every problem introduces a person to himself. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us. Give us your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map for everything we cover. Look for the CQ Rewind button on our episode pages. Another great companion is our all-new Bible study notes, an easy-to-follow, single-page of questions tied to scriptures for a great personal study or for your Bible study group. Check them out by clicking on the Bible study tab on our homepage. And we also do video. Look for new videos for all ages every week at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. So, Jonathan, what are we talking about? Well, Rick, our question is, how do you handle being uprooted in life? And our theme text is found in Psalms 116, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? So, how do you handle being uprooted in life? See, being uprooted can mean a host of different things. It can be the onset of a disease or disability, the loss of a job or a loved one, or experiencing a difficult trauma. It can mean a change of location, be it a physical move or an emotional jolt that makes us reset our thinking. Being uprooted is by definition unexpected, unwelcome, and uncomfortable, and frankly, it messes up our lives. As Christians, we might like to think that because we have God working in our daily experiences, we're going to be shielded from such things. This is entirely untrue. And on the surface, that may seem disappointing because nobody wants to go through experiences that mess everything up. So coming up in today's podcast, it's really no fun to be uprooted, especially when you have nothing to say about it. In our first and second segments, we look at the prophet Daniel, who was taken as a prisoner of war as a teenager. How did he cope, and how can we? Joseph is another example of one who was uprooted as a teenager, but he was betrayed by his own brothers and was sold into slavery. What did he do? What should we do when our uprooting is very harsh? Our third segment deals with that specific question. What do you do when you've done everything right and the results leave you uprooted? In our fourth segment, we're going to examine another Bible character whose life was turned upside down after exactly following God's will. I mean, go figure. Finally, what do you do when you know you're going to be uprooted? How do you prepare? Having time to prepare doesn't necessarily make things less traumatic. Our last segment features yet another Bible character who had to manage this dilemma, and it was difficult and heartbreaking. Rick, the good news is that uprooting experiences, especially for a Christian, can be some of the greatest tools in our entire lives. And, and Jonathan, you know, that really is one of the key things that we have to focus on here. We are looking at things that we generally look at with disdain, but they can be awesome. In, in, in God's hands. So here's the thing. As we, as we go through 
trying to understand something like being uprooted. We can't find the most important lesson unless we ask the most important question. And, and Jonathan, this is such a big deal. You don't find really good answers unless you ask really good questions. When uprooted, we normally ask, Rick, what does God want from me? This is a bewilderment question, um, driven question. It is. You know, what does God want from me? You know, what does he want from me? Instead, let us suggest that we ask, what does God want for me? What does God want for me? The changing of the word from to for takes us from bewilderment to focus. And Jonathan, it, it changes the entire experience if we're asking the right question. So we're going to go through this entire podcast asking that question again and again and again and looking at all these experiences and figuring out how to handle being uprooted. We're going to start with a soundbite. And Jonathan, this is a pretty dramatic story we're going to be listening to. It is, very. It's, it's, it's a, a very heart-wrenching story about someone uh, who had a very, very, very difficult physical experience, and we'll just let the story unfold. Now, the woman speaks very slowly, and she's very methodical. You've got to follow her because she tells this incredible story. It's about her father. I know a man who soars above the city every night. In his dreams, he twirls and swirls with his toes kissing the earth. Everything has motion, he claims, even a body as paralyzed as his own. This man is my father. Three years ago, when I found out that my father had suffered a severe stroke in his brainstem, I walked into his room in the ICU at the Montreal Neurological Institute and found him lying deathly still, tethered to a breathing machine. Paralysis had closed over his body slowly, beginning in his toes, then legs, torso, fingers and arms. It made its way up his neck, cutting off his ability to breathe, and stopped just beneath the eyes. He never lost consciousness, Rather, he watched from within as his body shut down, limb by limb, muscle by muscle. Can you even imagine that? Wow. You, you watch, yeah. You're watching your, your, your body close up shop, and mm. you're in, all the way up to his ears and his eyes. Everything else no longer worked. The, this was a TED Talk. It's called My Father Locked in His Body Soaring Free. We're going to come back to this story several times throughout the podcast because it illustrates a man being uprooted in a most unusual way and how he learned to cope with it. So you've got to stay with us as we, as we unfold this story. Uh, but Jonathan, we also are telling other stories. And our first uprooting story is going to be a summation of the prophet Daniel's experience. The theme for this uprooting story we're going to find in Psalm 116, verse 12. And each story we tell, we're going to use another verse of Psalm 116. And it was really fascinating to me how these four verses of Psalm 116 fit exactly with these four stories. So 116, verse 12. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? Okay, so the theme here is rendering to God for his benefits toward me. So 
as we go through each uprooting story, we're going to ask the question, how did this ex- uprooting experience come to me? Then we're going to talk about why it comes to me, and then we're going to look at what we can learn from it. So with this particular uprooting experience, Jonathan, how does it come? The, the, what's the nature of this uprooting experience? Well, Rick, potentially anticipated as a possibility. So as we get into the story of Daniel, what we're going to see is his experience was actually potentially anticipated. We'll, we'll get into that in a few minutes. So this particular uprooting experience, like many of ours, can say, you know, this something might happen. And so you, you've got some kind of preparation, not maybe a lot, but you've got a sense that something might happen. From a perspective of growing, why would an uprooted experience happen? Why does it come to us? Well, sometimes we are uprooted to give us the opportunity to become the powerful tool in the hand of God that we were called to be. So we're, us- we're giving you essentially an answer for why uprooting happens before we give you the story and the illustration. So in this next story, the story of Daniel, the opportunity comes to be because he was supposed to be a powerful tool in God's hand. He couldn't be that way unless he was uprooted. So, Jonathan, just a little bit of background. Um, actually, no, yeah, yeah, a little background on Daniel. Sure. Daniel, along with others, was taken as a captive to Babylon as a teenager. We all know the story of how his diligent faith and wisdom was recognized at every level, and he was eventually elevated to being at King Nebuchadnezzar's right hand. Now, fast forward to the end of that time period, Daniel is probably in his 60s, and his life is about to take an entirely different path. For the last 40-plus years, he had faithfully served King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, with the head of gold gone, Babylon would slowly begin its unraveling process. Okay, so there's a a lot of background because the story of Daniel is a long, long story with a lot of details. But with that, um, what do we learn? You know, with Daniel's uprooting, there's very specific lessons. There's a ton of them. But let's focus in on one specific type of lesson. In So understanding uprooting for Daniel, and then we're going to get into some more specifics of his life. Well, even dire circumstances, being a captive in Daniel's case, can bring unexpected opportunity while bringing out the best in us as long as we maintain our highest focus. And Rick, speaking of highest focus, my mind went right here. Think about Jesus. He was in heaven with God, and he volunteered to leave, to be uprooted, from his spiritual life to be a sacrifice for God's human creation. I mean, that is an uprooting. And in Isaiah 6, 8, um, it, it describes that. He became the ransom to pay that price that God wanted him to, uh, to basically die for mankind so we would have life again. So what, what a more dramatic uprooting can you think of you know and jesus yeah and, and when you think about it you know he became a, an even greater tool in the hand of god than he had been and that's almost hard to believe but it's true it's true he became this greater tool and a higher name than ever because he was willing to go through that uprooting so that is a, a tremendous tremendous example the key is in our uprooting we need to maintain our highest focus and of course that's easy to say and not, and and not easy to do focus so 
we've got each each element that we come through and say, okay, here's here's the core thought. We want to put a scripture to it. So the focused scripture, focused scripture for our uprooted and now transplanted arsenal. We're building an arsenal of scriptures. This is the focused scripture we want to use. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And you're going right back to that example of Jesus there and, and looking at what he did. So Daniel was taken captive as a, teen, as a teenager. He's uprooted. He goes through hard experiences, but he shines because he's got the highest objective in his head and in his heart, and he's continuing to be blessed. His life is long in this captive situation, although he's gaining a lot of credibility. Let's go now later on in life a little bit, Jonathan, fill in some gaps for us. Sure. Well, there is about a 13-year gap between the death of King Nebuchadnezzar and the events of King Belshazzar. During this period, it's important to realize that Daniel is no longer an advisor to royalty. He's just a normal citizen. Through all of this time, Daniel prays three times daily for the freedom and protection of his people. He is outspoken when necessary, quietly observing when appropriate. So the point is he's been there for a lifetime already. And in 13 years, he's kind of behind the scenes and just prays for his people every day. So he never loses sight. He's uprooted. He's not home, but he's had to make this his home. He had been in royal service, and now he's not. So now, after 50 or more years, the prophets finally tuned in enough to see uh, the most far-reaching visions of world history and the overruling power of the Almighty God, even ever given any time, anywhere. So, Jonathan, in Daniel chapter 7, what was that? What was that about? Well, Daniel's vision of the four beasts, remember? Yeah, and it was the dramatic vision of future events. Daniel chapter 8. And that was the vision of the ram and the he-goat. And that, that's, uh, these visions were so easily understood and interpreted that critics of the Bible want to discredit the book of Daniel because it's, it's too good. Okay, so he was given these things in the state of being uprooted for a lifetime. So when we look to understand uprooting, and we're going to go more in Daniel's life because there's more, more to come, so to speak. But what do we learn from just the little, little things that we've seen of Daniel so far? What do we understand as far as uprooting goes for us? Well, with focus, long, lonely conditions can bring profound and godly results. So we need to decide that whatever the condition, we can still find godly results. And that sometimes can be a hard thing, but that's what Daniel did. You know, it's hard to fathom being forcibly taken from home and growing to such a lofty position with your captors. Daniel is now getting up there in age. Hasn't he been through a long enough uprooted phase? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. 
It's important to note how God's providence works in the lives of specific individuals. With Daniel, we're observing someone with such an unshakable devotion that God could allow him to go through excessive uprooting for long periods. Daniel was a conduit through which God's word flowed. And this is unusual because it was a lifetime of uprooting. Most of us don't have that happen, but it's a great experience for us to look at. And, you know, and Jonathan, just very, very quickly, uh, Daniel may have seen it coming because the prophet Jeremiah was on the scene at the time, and Jeremiah had prophesied that Israel would be desolated for 70 years. And so when he's being taken captive, it's very, very possible that he's thinking, wow, Jeremiah said it, and here it is, it's happening. Right before my very eyes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Well, Rick, it's really no fun to be uprooted, especially when you have nothing to say about it. Right, it is. And, And, you know, you can imagine, Daniel, you can say, well, we've got the prophecy, but you're still a prisoner. Okay, so, you know, it is no fun. And, and again, we, when we're uprooted, uh, you know, against our will and into difficult circumstances, we often ask, what does God want from me? When we should be asking, what does God want for me? Which question comes to your mind and which question gets expressed? What does God want from me or what does he want for me? Let's go back to the TED Talk my father locked in his body, soaring free. And remember, he had just had this massive stroke. He was paralyzed essentially from the eyes down. Here's how they began to cope. In that ICU room, I walked up to my father's body, and with a quivering voice and through tears, I began reciting the alphabet. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H-I-J-K. At K, he blinked his eyes. I began again. A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. He blinked again at the letter I, then at T, then at R, and A. Kitra. He said, Kitra, my beauty, don't cry. This is a blessing. There was no audible voice, but my father called out my name powerfully. Just 72 hours after his stroke, he had already embraced the totality of his condition. Despite his extreme physical state, he was completely present with me, guiding, nurturing, and being my father as much, if not more than ever before. How how do you get your Whoa. head around that? Oh, wow! It, it, you know it, it's amazing. Seventy two hours, and he embraced. Okay, I I have no movement in any of my body except for my eyes, and his daughter was wise enough to be able to find a way to communicate, and it unlocked doors that, as you will see throughout the podcast, as we go back to the story again and again, the amazing power of this paralysis and the freedom that he found within it. He was uprooted. His life was dramatically changed, but he wouldn't stop with the trauma and the difficulty. He moved on to find victory, even in the gravest of situations. Amazing story. You've got to stay with us for the rest.
Okay, let's let's get back to, to Daniel, Jonathan. So several years have passed since the visions of chapters 7 and 8, and Daniel's now probably in his 80s or so. Belshazzar, the young, very egotistical co-king, now is probably in his mid-30s or so, makes a great feast as we open the next chapter of Daniel's life. And so we go to Daniel 5.1. King Belshazzar made a great festival for thousands of his lords, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. And the problem is that he's drinking wine out of the sacred uh, cups that came from the, uh, the temple and making fun of God and so forth and so on. And of course, everything's going to unravel. You know that. <laughs> That's <laughs> you know, right. It all unravels. So verses 7 and 8, just like the old days, you know, everything is big and powerful, and then things begin to unravel. The handwriting appears on the wall, and everybody's like, it, it says in the scripture, his knees are knocking together. You know, he's so afraid. The, there are godless actions. The king panics. Then he calls in his astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and offers reward, just like Nebuchadnezzar used to do, for understanding of the mysterious writing on the wall. So this desperate king is offering riches and position of up to a third of the kingdom. What's Daniel's response to this, Jonathan, in Daniel 5? Then Daniel answered and said unto the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. So Daniel, old man, Daniel, probably in his 80s at least by now, you know, he recaps the history of Nebuchadnezzar and directly faces the, the arrogance of this young and prideful man. And, 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 and the kingdom falls. The kingdom falls that night. But, you know, Daniel says to him, and you knew this. You knew all of this. You knew of God Almighty, and you chose to mock him, your kingdom will be taken from you tonight. That's what he ends up telling him. So, you know, we've got the another point of understanding uprooting. What do we learn? How do we understand uprooting in, in, from this particular experience of Daniel? Well, godly habits, while being uprooted, bring godly reputation. You know, the interesting thing is that everybody's panicking, and I think it's the king's wife or mother that says, hey, there's a man, his name is Daniel, he seems to know the answer to all these things. Well, how come you haven't called on him in the last several years? Because <laughs> yeah. you haven't wanted to. So Daniel's reputation was still there. Still this shining example, even when he was in quietness. So in our uprooting experiences, we may not be called upon to do things all the time, but if we set a reputation of clarity and integrity and godliness, it carries through. So now, Daniel, again, probably in his 80s, back in the limelight, solely by virtue of his character and godliness. And so what happens next? The kingdom falls, they get taken over, Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps and over them three presidents, including Daniel. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because he was of his excellent spirit, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So this excellence brought in resentment from the other, uh, the, the other uh, the satraps and the, and the other presidents and so forth. And where did Daniel end up as a result? The lion's den. He's an old man. He's an old man, and they get him thrown to the lions because he's loyal to God. So Daniel has been uprooted for his entire life, since he's maybe 15, 16, 17, whatever his age was. Okay, He's been uprooted. He's now an old guy, still uprooted, 
still holding up the highest level of integrity to the things that were important to him before he was uprooted. And that faithfulness is what carries him through. That's a huge example for us in whatever our experiences might be. Now, obviously, Darius loved Daniel. And so he sees Daniel's delivered. He's like, oh my gosh, you know, everything is wonderful. You know, God is great. And this is awesome stuff. Daniel 6, 25 to 28, King Darius's response after he sees Daniel was delivered from the lions. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples, may you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, even the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So, again, Jonathan, it doesn't change the fact that Daniel's still uprooted, right? That's right. He's still uprooted, but now Darius makes the decree that everybody needs to recognize the God of Daniel because Darius himself sees the power of the God of Daniel, and he sees it in Daniel. Never would have happened if Daniel wasn't taken out of where he was comfortable and brought to someplace entirely foreign. So sometimes... We have to just see our lives, and when we're taken to some place that's foreign to us, what does the Lord have for me? Not does what, what does God want from me, but what does he have for me? So the conclusion of Daniel's story, it's about three years after this that King Cyrus declares freedom for Israel. The 70 years of captivity are over. Daniel is now aged and never does leave Babylon. Though he's still here, he remains the freest man in all the land, even though he's not at home, because he has faith. He's seen miracles, he's prophesied, and he's lived through God's providence. So this is, a, this is a huge thing. And interesting point on this, Jonathan, is that Daniel's faith and actions played a major role in the ending of the 70 years of desolation. That is an incredible point, because he was praying three times a right. day for his people over, and that was a focus. And, and what did the Lord do based on that earnest prayer? He put Daniel in a position of influence, and the influence to Cyrus was such that he said, I want to set your people free. How did he know to do that? Because of Daniel. Daniel's asking God's providence to deliver his people and asking for them, so God gives Daniel the opportunity to be the conduit of freedom. That's awesome. It is. is amazing. He was uprooted. So, So folks, think about this. In our uprooted experiences— Perhaps we can earn, or not earn, that's, a, that's the wrong word. We can have the, the, the opportunity of being in a position where we can actually do things we never could have done. Remember, sometimes we're uprooted so we can become a more powerful tool in the hand of God? That's right. If you're in your place where you're comfortable and God says your, your growth potential needs to happen somewhere else, he'll move you. And it may be uncomfortable and you may not know why, until you give it time, as Daniel did. And he was a mighty, mighty tool in the hand of God. So what do we learn? Understanding uprooting again through these experiences of Daniel. Being uprooted can be a lifelong and repeated experience. As with Daniel, if we stay focused on the simplicity of devotion above, we can be blessed while uprooted. 
we can be blessed even though we're in a foreign country. And, you know, Daniel was in, in prison uh, for a period of time during this whole thing. Uh, he was falsely accused. He was in difficult circumstances, but he always found a way to honor God. And so his is a long life of experience that we can draw from to find inspiration when we are uprooted and in difficult experiences. So the, kind of the theme for the uprooting here for Daniel is this lifelong experience. So a lifelong focus scripture for our uprooted and now transplanted arsenal. Because really, Jonathan, when we're uprooted, we've been transplanted. It may, but it just doesn't feel that way sometimes. That's right, exactly. It's like, no, I don't want this. Don't don't tell me I'm being planted over there. You know, I'm, my life has been messed up. A good lifelong focus text for this is Romans eight thirty eight and thirty nine. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A lifelong, stay-the-course kind of text. Keep yourself focused through whatever the uprooting experiences are, in your daily experiences. After Daniel lived his entire life being uprooted, it's kind of hard for us to complain about our little issues. Daniel is a remarkable example. What are the differences with the uprooting experiences of Joseph? Did you know we have one-page companion Bible studies for our most recent podcast episodes? Listen to the episode, follow along with our CQ Rewind show notes, and for your own bite-sized Bible study or group study, check out the Bible study questions content. Go to ChristianQuestions.com and click on Bible study in the main menu. Have some study time and then contact us with any additional questions or comments. Now let's continue the conversation. Our next example is Joseph, and on the surface, his experience of being yanked from his home is similar to Daniel's, except that Joseph was betrayed by his own brothers. This would have been a deeply troubling factor to process and to get over. Let's look at what he did and how he flourished. And and Jonathan, one of the sad parts of doing this particular podcast is we're talking about heroes' lives, and we're condensing them down to 15 or 20 minutes just doesn't do justice. Uh, right. But we have done series on both Joseph and Daniel. So you want to look back to find those series and get all of the details. We're just gleaning some of the important points. Well, how do you handle being betrayed by your own family, especially the way Joseph was? Well, actually, Jonathan, you have experience with being betrayed by your own family. And, yes. and hand, handling it is not easy, is it? No, it's not. No, it is not. No, no. And, and you know, and, and we're relating this to being uprooted specifically. So when we're uprooted, do we ask, what does God want from me with that frustration of how come this is happening? Or what does God want for me? What is it frustration or is it anticipation? See, if we change the question, we can change our ability to find the answer. Let's go back to uh, the, this uh, individual locked into his own body uh, in this huge, huge trial of, of, of uh, paralysis. And uh, his daughter had found ways to communicate through reciting the alphabet and taking his messages one letter at a time. This next section is very touching. I slept by my father's side for the first four months 
tending as much as I could to his every discomfort, understanding the deep human psychological fear of not being able to call out for help. My mother, sisters, brother, and I, we surrounded him in a cocoon of healing. We became his mouthpiece, spending hours each day reciting the alphabet as he whispered back sermons and poetry with blinks of his eye. His room, it became our temple of healing. His bedside became a site for those seeking advice and spiritual counsel. And through us, my father was able to speak and uplift, letter by letter, blink by blink. That's amazing. People came to him for advice and encouragement. And letter by letter, he was able, through his family, to communicate that. Think about the power of taking this horrible experience and turning it into something so powerful. He had a, he had a focus on, 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 on things bigger than himself. And this, this man is a rabbi, okay? You know, and it's important to understand that. He's a rabbi, and he is a godly man seeking to see God in all of the difficulty. And what a great example as we talk about being uprooted. So, Jonathan, now we're going on to our second uprooting story, and it's going to be looking at the experiences of Joseph, as we mentioned. So the theme for this uprooting story, remember we started with Psalm 116, uh, verse uh, 12, which was, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me? And you can see Daniel really, really lived rendering to God for the benefits of protection and blessing and so forth. Psalm 116, the next verse, verse 13. I shall lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Okay, we're going to focus on lifting up the cup of salvation. And that is what Joseph's story really is about. So how did this, the, the, the experience of Joseph's uprooting, remember Daniel's may have been uh, somewhat expected because you had the prophet on the scene. How did, the, what was the nature of Joseph's uprooting experience? completely unexpected and unprepared for. And, and that's an important factor here, completely unexpected and unprepared for. Uh, and we'll see why in a moment. So that's how it came to him. Why? From a spiritual perspective, when you look at an uprooting that's completely unexpected and unprepared for, why might that kind of uprooting come? Well, sometimes our uprooting is for the purpose of helping others we never could have otherwise helped. And this is huge. This is enormous. Helping others that you, if you hadn't gone through the uprooting, could have never helped. That's exactly the story of Joseph. Jonathan, a little bit of background on Joseph's story. Well, before being uprooted, Joseph faced a raging one-sided rivalry consisting of 10 brothers versus himself. <laughs> Great. Joseph was, an in, was filled with integrity as a teenager. He lived his loyalty and showed a fearlessness when speaking truth, even if it could prove to his detriment. And Rick, I was thinking about his innocence. He was always thinking the best of others. Yeah. So he never felt there would be anything coming back to him. But Joseph's brothers grew tired of him. And in Genesis thirty-seven eighteen, it says, they saw him from a distance. And before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. I mean... <laughs> Jonathan, that's not good. But fortunately, 
cooler heads prevailed, so they sold him into slavery instead. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it being sold into slavery, you're wondering, okay, is that any better? Well, you know, Reuben, the oldest brother, spoke up and said, you know, maybe we shouldn't be that quite that harsh. Let's just sell them instead because there happened to be a caravan coming as they were having this debate. So he sold into slavery. Well, here, let, let's see how that happened. Genesis thirty-seven twenty-seven. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers agreed. So the death sentence is overruled to become a life sentence of slavery. Okay, that's all they knew, and they were content with that. Uh, and God does protect those whom he has set to do his will. And that's an important factor. God's protection was there even though he's being sold into slavery. But Rick, why would God allow this injustice if he was favored, which really is a common question for skeptics, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and, and it's a dramatic injustice. And the answer is, had he not been sold into slavery, he would have not been, been brought into the Egyptian culture. Had he not been brought into the Egyptian culture from the bottom up, he would have never understood it and never been able to have an influence on it. He would have never grown in wisdom and been put at the, at the position that he was put at. So being sold into slavery was the doorway to the opportunity to the saving of the then known world. Wow. So you look at that, <laughs> you know, and you say, wow, that's horrible. Yeah, but in God's work, what is horrible? The uprooting that's so horrible can actually, down the road, bring something very, very good and something very, very powerful. So what happens? And we're skipping through this story very, very quickly. Genesis 39, 1 through 6. Or actually, it's, I'm sorry, we're just doing 39 verses 1 and 3. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, his master, saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. Okay, so you've got Joseph shining, kind of like Daniel, shining because of his integrity and his, and his love for God and his, and his maturity as a very young man, and that... So he's he's not in a good situation, um, but he's he's brought up to the highest level that he possibly can be and goes through a lot of experiences and grows in stature. And he went from protection from his father's home to becoming a slave in Potiphar's house. Yes. Wow. That's uprooted. It is. And and so so folks, if sometimes our uprootings happen completely take us by surprise. Take heart in the fact that God can work with that and does work with that. Joseph, like you said, would have never, ever expected to have been sold out by his brothers, literally. And yet he's able to take it and, and apply the goodness of his character. That's a huge lesson for us in our uprooting experiences. So what do we learn? How do we understand uprooting through this part of Joseph, Joseph's experience? Even under dire circumstances, deciding to live a life of sacred honor is the way to stand tall, no matter how horrible the uprooting circumstances were that got you there. And, and Rick, um, I was thinking of a comment made um, in a book. Um, Victor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor yeah. and an author, and he simply wrote these words. He describes change as a choice. You know, that's interesting, because when change happens, we can rebel. What do you want from me? 
Or we can ask the right question, God, what do you want for me? Talk about being uprooted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Viktor Frankl, being in a concentration camp, most of those he went into the camp with died in the environment. He chose to adopt change so that he could survive through it and become a powerful, powerful world influence for good afterwards. So whatever the uprooting is, you know, what we see is this uh, Joseph here deciding to live this life of sacred honor. And, you know, the experiences in Potiphar's house, he was honorable. All the experiences throughout his, his life there, he was full of honor. Let's fast forward now to Joseph. He's at the king's right hand. Uh, and now he it comes time where he's going to reveal himself to his brothers who have come to Egypt because the, play, the, the, the famine has come and hit the land, and now everybody's starving. So he's ready to re, re, reveal himself to his brothers who were starving. Genesis chapter 45, uh, let's go verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Yeah, now hold, hold on one second. I should have said it ahead of time. He cried aloud. At this point, he cried so loudly, people through the rest of the place heard him. <laughs> you know, so he was deeply emotional as he revealed himself to his brothers. Go ahead. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. That verse, Jonathan, is powerful. Joseph clearly recognizes God's providence and his uprooting, and he's able to absolutely forgive. Just reread verse 5. Now, do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Don't be angry with yourselves that you sold me out. I mean, think about what he's saying to them. This is a portrait of what forgiveness, what deep wholehearted forgiveness looks like. He's saying, don't be angry with yourselves because I now see that God sent me here before you so I could preserve your lives. Verses 7 and 8, he's got to tell them again. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. So how many times did Joseph tell them about God's providence? Three times. Three different times. And he's basically saying, my uprooting, being, being yanked out of my life so unjustly, saved masses from starving. Because of that seven-year drought. Right. And so Joseph is, is got it. He understands. He's looking back and saying, God brought me here for this reason. How glad I am that I was betrayed. Think about it. Wow. Well, think. (laughs) He is full of forgiveness. Our uprootings, if we can work our way through them and see the good that comes from them, if we are looking for that life of sacred honor, boy, it can change everything in our perspective as we see how God blesses us. So what do we learn? How do we understand uprooting in this particular part of Joseph's experience? By living a life of sacred honor to God through Jesus, we can be sure that whatever uprooting we may be experiences will be for godly good to us and others. You can be sure 
that whatever the uprooting is, if you are seeking a life of sacred honor toward God, it will be for godly good. You may not see it at the beginning, you may not see it in the, in the middle, but some at some point later on it comes up. What's a good sacred honor scripture for our uprooted or now, you know, kind of seeing a transplanted arsenal? Romans 8:28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know that God causes all things to work together to those who what? Love God and who are called according to his purpose. We know that there is goodness in being uprooted because all things work together. Folks, this is how we cope with the harsh uprootings that come completely unexpectedly in our lives, just the way Joseph did. What a great example. The story of Joseph is a true testimony to God's tender loving care that Though the most unlikely, uh, through the most unlikely experiences. So uprooting can help us be a tool of God and help us protect others. Is it ever about just us? Yeah, you know, and how come this thing didn't fire, Jonathan? I don't know, bud. Well, you know what? <laughs> Let's try it again, shall we? <laughs> In that ICU room. That didn't work. Okay, so Jonathan, we didn't get that bumper in there, but that's okay. We're going to continue on without that. So Daniel and Joseph were such lofty examples being dragged out of their lives only to be the saviors of their worlds. What about Elijah? Here is the faithful prophet of God who single-handedly took on royalty and the prophets of Baal, and he won. Yet he was also uprooted and ran for his life. So we're going to be looking now at the story of Elijah. Uh, again, another powerful, powerful example of godliness. And his story is very different than the others. It is, but I loved how you just passed over it, only to be the saviors of their world. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, that is huge. Yeah, yeah. And they were faithful to God uh, in doing that, Daniel and Joseph. Wow. Yeah, and, and you're, you're right. <laughs> it, it is. Wow. But see, and the, the whole point is their ability to work came because they were yanked out of what was comfortable. So when we're uprooted, let's think about our own experiences. You know, and Jonathan, sometimes we bring the uprooting upon ourselves. And, um, you know, um, I, I did that. <laughs> you know, just very, very quickly in, in my own in my own life experience, you know, I, I did a, made a career change many, many years ago and uprooted things very dramatically. And it turns out I, I made the change way too soon. I didn't know I did at the point, but it came became clear afterwards. <laughs> and the reason I made the career change because I saw the opportunity for having freedom to control my time. Now, for years... There was no freedom to control any time. There was barely keeping up with things. And it was after six or seven years that things finally started to level out. And then, Jonathan, what came along after a few years later after that? Christian questions. And the ability to have control over time gave me personally the ability to, to do my contribution. So that uprooting was by my own choice, not done with great, the greatest of maturity, but it was done with, with, a, with a, a, a true desire. And God made me grow up into it. It wasn't easy growing up, was it? Oh, ask my wife. No, don't <laughs> ask my wife. I don't want her to tell you. <laughs> but then, you know, coming out through, the, through that experience, you, you see things just so, so incredibly differently. So 
Um, Jonathan, let's go to uh, our next soundbite. Uh, uh, well, before we oh, do I'm, that. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You know, focusing on Elijah, what would you do if you have done everything right and the results leave you uprooted? Yeah. And that's kind of what happened to Elijah. So when we're uprooted, do we ask, what does God want from me? Or, or what does God want from me? Or actually, what does he want for me? For me. Thank you. <laughs> we have to ask, what does God want for me, not from me? Let's go back to our story, uh, my father locked in his body, soaring free, the TED Talk. Okay, you know, we're having some problems with these, uh, with these sound bites, Jonathan. I'm not sure what it is, um, but I am going to see if I can very quickly figure this out. So here's what I'd like to do, Jonathan. Can you take us through the, the psalm scripture? Just set that up while I Absolutely. see if I get this figured out. Our third uprooting story will be a look at the experiences of Elijah and the theme for this uprooting story, Psalms 116, verse 14. I shall pay my vows to the Lord. Oh, may it be in the presence of all his people. Okay, let's try again with this... Um, with this soundbite about this, this particular story. The theme for the Elijah story is pay my vows to the Lord, okay? Paying what it is that I have been set up to give. Then one day from the corner of my eye, I saw his body slither like a snake, an involuntary spasm passing through the course of his limbs. At first, I thought it was my own hallucination, having spent so much time tending to this one body so desperate to see anything react on its own. But he told me he felt tingles, sparks of electricity flickering on and off just beneath the surface of his skin. The following week, he began ever so slightly to show muscle resistance. Connections were being made. Body was slowly and gently reawakening, limb by limb, Muscle by muscle, twitch by twitch. That's amazing. Wow. So there started to be a reconnecting after a significant amount of time, little, little, little by little. And so, you know, you, you get the sense of the, even the way he had to communicate one letter at a time. This experience was just taking excessive amounts of time. And you say, why God? Why would you do that? Because the profound lessons that you learn through it are life-changing, not only for him, but everybody around him. And, and I love that she said that they connected never before in their lives like this. Yeah. The blessing of having such a deep, deep relationship that she never had. Uh, not saying she didn't have a good relationship, but she said this changed everything. And it would. It absolutely would. So this is it's a dramatic story. So as we look at the story of Elijah now, okay, the, the nature of this particular uprooting experience, how did it come to Elijah? Completely opposite from expectations. Okay. So going, looking at King Ahab, he was deeply idolatrous and evil, and God raised Elijah up to stand against him. And we know, we know a little bit about the story. Elijah means my God is Jehovah. That's what the, the name means. So courage, to stand up against idolatry and evil has arrived, and his name is loyalty. My God is Jehovah. So Elijah stands up, 1 Kings 17.1, what does he say? Now Elijah the Tishbite said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Okay, so there's there's three very, very clear things here. The first, he gives specifics. The Lord God lives in spite of all that you have done to disavow him. Okay, Ahab, God is alive. Then he gives clarity. I represent the Lord God and no other, and here is his message of punishment. Okay, so God's alive. I represent him. Here's the message of punishment, and then he gives accountability. My word as God's prophet can release this punishment. All right, so he's telling Ahab exactly what's going to happen and the role that Elijah himself plays. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, what do we do when we did God's will, but the results are the opposite of what we expected, because that's exactly what happened to Elijah. He does God's will, the rain goes away, they have the standoff, um, he destroys the prophets of Baal. It's as dramatic a story as you can possibly imagine. We have a three-part series on Elijah that covers it in great drama and detail, so you want to go to that. But again, why does, then he's uprooted. Why does uprooting come, Jonathan, when we we have a, an experience that's completely opposite from our expectations sometimes? Well, Rick, sometimes our uprooting is for the purpose of our own protection so we may continue our work. So, again, when we're uprooted, do we ask, what does God want from me? Or, what does God want for me? Which question are we asking. Elijah actually asked the wrong one, and he had to be shown the right way. First Kings 19, verses 1 to 16, we're going to take selected verses. We'll stop several times. Now Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So after this huge showdown, Ahab and goes, to, goes and tells Je- Queen Jezebel, and she's upset, obviously, and here's what she does. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me, and even more, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. And he was afraid and arose and ran for his life. Do you think he expected that to be the result? No. (laughs) (laughs) You just. Not after what he just did. You won the greatest victory for God single handed with the power of God before you. And now you have to run for your life. I mean, that's like, talk about throwing a monkey wrench into the works. I do exactly what God says and get the victory that God says I should get. This is awesome. And then I'm threatened. Right. <laughs> okay, so here's what happens inside of Elijah's own mind now. Verse 4 of 1 Kings 19. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take my life. For I am no better than my father's. He feels like he is a failure. You know, the thrill of victory was instantly turned into the agony of defeat. He felt completely, utterly defeated. So an angel comes and strengthens him, and Elijah journeys onto Mount Horeb. And now he's there at Mount Horeb. We're going to go down to First Kings 19, verses 9 and 10. Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. 
and I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. So he's still so depressed. He's just so frustrated with this. So God then just then shows Elijah his presence. Remember, he he had the 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 the, the wind and the fire and the earthquake, um, and then his presence in verse twelve. God's presence comes in the sound of a gentle blowing. In quietness is where God's presence is revealed. So Elijah experiences that. Then God again asks Elijah, what are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah repeats what he already said to God previously about, essentially about failing. Here's God's response to him. The Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you have arrived, you shall anoint Hazel, the king, over Aram. And Jehu, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. So essentially, God says to him, Elijah, your work is not yet done. Your work is not yet done. So Elijah was frustrated at what he saw as defeat. So what can we learn from Elijah's experience and his uprooting, which came completely unexpectedly? Sometimes our experience, our uh, sometimes our expectations are out of line with God's providence. In these times, we must be humble enough to refocus our minds and re-energize our efforts. So sometimes our expectations are out of line with what God intended. That's what happened to Elijah. He expected that once this victory was won, Israel would be reclaimed for the glory of God. It didn't happen that way, but it was okay because God didn't expect it to happen that way. God had other plans. So, Jonathan, sometimes when we're uprooted, especially when we don't expect it, and, 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 and you know, we've maybe really worked at doing the Lord's will as best as we possibly can, and you're saying, how did this happen? I just did these things according to exactly what I was supposed to. God's providence may be saying, yeah, but there's more. There's more that you just haven't thought about. And, and I like how he gave Elijah three more tasks to take his mind off of fear. Yeah. And he put him on in a direction to keep moving forward. Right. And uh, the Lord does that for us when, when our, we get in our own way. So <laughs> okay. when we're uprooted completely against everything because we think we're doing, you know, as best as we can and, you know, we're moving along in the right direction, you say, well, wait, God, what do you want from me? Well, no, 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 no. God, what do you want for me? And the answer is, there's more for you to do, just in a different context. It's not what you expected, but there's still more for you to do. So a good refocusing and reengaging scripture for our uprooted and now transplanted arsenal is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be anxious. Look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love the descriptiveness of surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So don't be afraid. And even though you're uprooted outside of every expectation you may have had, see what I have for you because you are my servant and I can and will bless you in these specific circumstances. If Elijah could learn to manage such an enormous and unexpected uprooting, Surely we can manage ours. We have seen uprooting that were unexpected and surprises. What about one that we fully expect?
Talk to us during our live Monday night podcast from 8 to 9.30 every week. If you're listening through our app, just hit the message button. If you're on ChristianQuestions.com, click on chat at the bottom of your screen. As our discussion continues, it is inevitable when we start to answer questions that more questions appear. Let's see how this expands. We all have experiences that are coming our way that have we have uh, have had time to prepare for. While there is an advantage to having time to think and adjust, the uprooting of such an experience can still be really traumatic and difficult. The Apostle Paul had such an experience. And for him, it was actually heartbreaking. As I've mentioned in previous podcasts, uh, my mom and dad moved in with us about a year and a half ago so we could uh, help care for them. My 90-year-old dad had advanced Alzheimer's along with other medical issues, and he passed away about six months ago. And my mom, 90, is still with us. When they asked to live with us, we welcomed them, but it was still an uprooting experience. It was uprooted um, for many reasons. Uh, Our home, there's always someone in here. (laughs) Um, There's caregivers, visiting nurses, therapists. Our routine, Rick, has totally changed. We have little privacy and have time restrictions on when we need to be home so mom's not alone. Uh, Our home is no longer our own, but it is not supposed to be. When we consecrated our lives to serve God, all we have belongs to him. And just in a uh, practical or a real example, one o'clock, the caregivers leave. So five days a week, Jewel's got to make sure she's there while I'm at work. And on the weekends, Saturday morning, we rush out together to do all the errands because we have to be back by one to make sure we're with mom. So it was uprooting, but we're thankful for the experience. You know, and, and that's interesting because, you know, you're being uprooted inside your own household. Exactly. And, and, and what was uprooted was your was your privacy and your routine, and your freedoms. That's what was uprooted. And that's just as difficult as having to be moved physically to another, another place for some other reasons. So the point of all of this is that uprootings happen in all different kinds of ways. And what we're trying to do is look at the examples in Scripture and find the principles that they used so we can use them to find our way through the difficulties. Well, Rick, how do you handle it when you know you're going to be uprooted? How do you prepare? And, and I was thinking, the, it starts with prayer. Prayer. It, it starts there. Okay. <laughs> because you need to ask the Lord for help. Okay, Lord, you're, uh, we're, we're moving in this direction. Help me. Show me what I need to do. Okay. And, and you're right. We have to start by looking up so we can see around uh, if you don't look up first, it's hard to see around you. Uh, Jonathan, before we go through our next section, Trisha's walked in. She's my wife. She's our program observer. Uh, and Trish, what have you got for us? Well, I just wanted to say thank you to Jonathan for that um, mention of his own personal experience because a lot of our uprooting comes from just being where we are in life. And I want to say this topic has been very enlightening to me because I was uprooted four years ago in my life, very intensely, which you know about, with the bank robberies. And I never put it in this perspective before, that I was uprooted in my life for the purpose of being able to be more um, available and awake and more prosperous in my life through in Christ. 
So what is it, the purpose is what was it to do for me instead of what are you doing? Right. Yeah, no, no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so I'm, this is very encouraging to me, this whole topic has been very encouraging. Good, good. And, and, and folks, uh, I will tell you with Trish in the room that uh, one day we are going to tell you this story. One day, maybe. <laughs> yeah, one day we will tell you this story. And it, it's, it's a dramatic story about being uprooted, about bank robbery, uh, about <laughs> all kinds. And, of, of course, she's a bank teller. And, yeah. wow, that puts her right there. Well, she was the one robbed, okay? You know, and let me just, we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but she was robbed twice by the same person within two weeks. How's that? <sighs> Okay, we'll leave it at that. There was a whole lot of trauma that happened as a result. We'll get to that another day. Okay, but again, the question when we're uprooted, do we ask, what does God want from me? Or what does God want for me? That is and 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 that's exactly what Trish was saying. You know, look at it as what does God want for me? Let's get back to our story of my father locked in his body, soaring free and this TED talk and, and 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 the 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 little items that are giving them hope. For most of us, our muscles begin to twitch and move long before we are conscious. But my father tells me his privilege is living on the far periphery of the human experience. Like an astronaut who sees a perspective that very few of us will ever get to share, he wonders and watches as he takes his first breaths and dreams about crawling back home. So begins life at 57, he says. Few of us will ever have to face physical limitations to the degree that my father has, but we will all have moments of paralysis. I know I frequently confront walls that feel completely unscalable, but my father insists no dead ends. Instead, he invites me into his space of co-healing to give the very best of myself and for him to give the very best of himself to me. Rick, um, giving the very best of yourself, um, that's what Jesus did. I mean, you just picture him in every bit of energy he just poured out for others. But Rick, I appreciate this quality in you because... You know, one of your phrases is do the most important thing at every given moment. But every time you're with someone, you are focused on being a blessing, a comfort, a help, giving an answer or asking the right question. And um, that's special. So thank you for who you are. Well, thank you, Jonathan, for, for recognizing that. And, and that, that is one of the great privileges of life to me is to be able to contribute to others and most of the time, the contribution, let me clue you, is by listening. But listening with your whole being. And when you listen to somebody with your whole being and they know that they're the only important thing at that moment, I won't say it's magical, but there's this sense of, of trust that develops and progress can be made. And that's how it all starts. So thank, thank you for that. Let's get to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Okay, our fourth uprooting story will be the winding down of Paul's ministry. The theme for his uprooting story is Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. So now we're going to be talking about the winding up of his life. You know, 
how did this uprooting experience come to the Apostle Paul? What was the nature of this uprooting experience? Very much anticipated and expected. And we'll explain that in a second. But, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to sum up the Apostle Paul's life. Let's say that he was focused, engaged, courageous, and tireless. When his public mis- ministry was coming to an end, he walked boldly toward that end. Which brings us to the question, why, from a spiritual perspective, does uprooting come to us? Sometimes our uprooting is for the purpose of closing a chapter or ending an experience. Closing a chapter or ending an experience. And that's exactly what was happening to the Apostle Paul. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20, verses 16 to 38. We're only going to read just a few selected verses. From Miletus, to sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly from house to house. So he calls the elders of Ephesus to him because he knows that he is is, is got a journey to take and it's going to be very difficult and he wants to have one last fellowship time with them. These next verses, Jonathan, are incredibly revealing about Paul's understanding of the uprooting that was about to happen. And now, behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus, to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. He says so much here. I, I, I wish we had hours to talk about these verses, but you know, he, he declared the whole purpose of God to them. But he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm not sure what's going to happen. He said, but the Holy Spirit has has given me a sense that in, in every city, everywhere I've been, I have been given a message from God that bonds and afflictions await me. So he knew that going to Jerusalem was was going to be a bad, bad physical experience for him. He knew But it. he knew it was the Lord's will. Yes. Okay. So he knew the uprooting was coming. He knew captivity was in front of him. And he walked Towards it, He proceeds to warn and encourage the brethren that he's talking to now. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 20. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And so he's, he, he knows he's, gonna, he's, he's, he's going away from them, and so he's giving them the best pearls of wisdom he possibly can. He warned and encouraged them. He now reminds them of how he selflessly did the work of the gospel, supporting himself while he was in their midst. And then verses 36 to 38. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they were accompanying him to the ship. Can you put yourself in that position? He's speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, and these grown men are just crying their eyes out, and they're embracing him, and they're kissing him, because he has given them 
access to a spiritual life they never knew existed. He has been their mentor, and he's saying, I'll not see you again. Can you imagine the, 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 the trauma inside Paul's heart as he's doing oh, this? Oh, that, that, that's, that's hard. That, that's, that's tough. And, but, but he's moving forward. Now, not too long after, just maybe several days later, we go to Acts chapter 21, verses 8 to 15. In the context of these verses, the prophet Agabus is speaking of the Apostle Paul's future. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, and came to us, he, Agabus, told Paul's belt, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of Gentiles. When he had heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. So here, in this instance, there's an actual prophet that says, this is what's going to happen to the apostle. And he shows everyone, and they're saying, don't go. He was ready, but they're not ready. Right. And so he says, why why are you crying and why are you breaking my heart? It was not the it was not at all easy for him to walk away from them because he knew he'd never see them again in this life. And and so he he's prepared and he encourages them to be able to handle his trial. You know, that's kind of like Jesus. You know, he spent that last night of his life preparing his disciples to handle Jesus' own experience. You're right. Absolutely. This is, this is walking in Jesus' footsteps. But, you know, it, it, the apostle is feeling the utter trauma of being separated from those he loves. And yet he walks boldly because it's the will of God. He walks boldly into the uprooting, knowing full well he will die for the cause. What do we learn from this? What's our understanding of uprooting from this experience? Being uprooted is especially hard when it means you must leave behind profound relationships. Be sure to remember that this loss is temporary and essentially momentary. It is. It is, it is temporary. Take the strength of those relationships with you if you do have to be separated. Jonathan, let's, let's wrap this up with a final story of the man locked inside of his own body. And this is really a wonderful ending at this point. Today, my father is no longer locked in. He moves his neck with ease, has had his feeding peg removed, breathes with his own lungs, speaks slowly with his own quiet voice, and works every day to gain more movement in his paralyzed body. But the work will never be finished, as he says, I'm living in a broken world, and there is holy work to do. And doesn't that exactly fit what we're talking about, about being uprooted? It is a broken world, and there is much work to do. So folks, whether you're uprooted or not, we've got so much work to do. Great staying the course uh, scripture, Jonathan, as we wrap up Philippians four twelve and 13. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do 
all things through him who strengthens me. So really what the apostle is saying is whether I'm uprooted or not doesn't matter. What matters is that because I am about the cause of Christ, I will take the experiences and the circumstances that are in front of me and use them for the glory of God. And folks, even if we don't want them, even if they're not expected, whether we bring them upon ourselves, whether we have some idea about them, doesn't matter. What does matter? What do we do with the experience? How do we make it a godly experience? How do we witness to those around us God's providence in our uprooting? Folks, this is a powerful lesson for us to take and apply to our daily lives. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, hope you've enjoyed being with us today as we talked about something that happens to all of us. Let's take our uprooting and glorify God. Think about it. Folks, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We would greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, here's an interesting one. Did Jesus, Jesus died for you. Are you dying for him? Talk to you next week. <laughs>